Hello and welcome to this FT Advisor in Focus podcast about the changing role of VCTs and EISs in tax planning. VCT investing has never been more popular and despite a lacklustre performance last year and challenging economic headwinds, many believe the outlook for VCTs and EISs and indeed SEISs remains good. In addition, there are some policy changes ahead, which could be a game changer, though not all are positive. To discuss these and other issues around VCTs, we are joined today by Sarah Barber, CEO at Jensen Funding Partners, a specialist in early stage investing, Kerry Baldwin, managing partner at IQ Capital and former chair of the British Venture Capital Association, and Jack Rose, head of retail sales at Triple Point Ventures. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Kerry, let's start with you. What are the main government policies that advisors or investors should be aware of as we approach the next tax year? And how might these influence the last minute decisions this year? So for investors, you'll be looking at the tax changes that have come through. So they were announced in a statement in October. They haven't quite been ratified. Will the sunset clause be activated? And what will the thresholds be for SEIS? None of this has actually been confirmed as of yet. Mm-hmm. And can you just elaborate on what um, what these are? So for the, for SEIS, they wanted to increase it from one hundred and fifty thousand up to two hundred thousand, um, two hundred and fifty thousand. Sorry, yeah. and uh, that has been muted, but it has not been confirmed as yet. Um, and also, uh, there are various elements, but one of them will be extending the hold period as well. Mm-hmm. How long can these investments be held for? And also, how lo- old must the companies be? So if you take a company that's set up maybe in, in the regions, and it, sometimes they take a little bit longer to come into fruition. So you need to have a little bit longer than seven years, let's say. They have to have a 10-year life frame. It's an elements like this. But I think that would be the, my first start. And that, I'm sure, Sarah, you can embellish from other... Kerry, you've <laughs> covered most of the main points. Um, the for an investor, um, they could invest up to one hundred thousand into SEIS. That's now gone up to two hundred thousand. Um, in terms of the age of the company, um, that used to be a two-year trading period. That's now gone up to three for SEIS. Um, so I think there's quite a few um, changes that have gone through. Um, that are very, very welcome, mm-hmm. actually. And how do you think these changes might influence what an advisor might tell their investor client now, just before the end of this current tax year? I think in terms of the actual companies that you're investing in, um, it's going to give, certainly for the early stage, um, where, where we typically invest, it's going to give them... Um, a, a longer runway to actually prove uh, their product, make sure that it's got product market fit uh, for the SEIS. Um, and it takes you closer to sort of the, the EIS. With the EIS, um, sort of having taken away that doubt about the um, sunset clause coming in in 2025, um, it means that um, th- there's longevity there as well for the companies, you know that you're going to be able to invest in EIS post the SEIS. So it's it's really giving that confidence that we as fund managers can work with those companies, can fund those companies and can make the best out of those companies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Jack, you are more on the venture capital side um, and the um, fundraising side. 
Which government policies are on your radar? Well, uh, Kerry mentioned it earlier, the indicated extension of the sunset clause, I think, is probably the the one that we as uh, a, a fu- from a fundraising perspective but also just more broadly about the market have been keeping a, a, a close eye on and it was really welcome to see them indicate that they would look to extend it i think you know one of the things that this market has really in- benefited from over the last few years has been um, a relative benign period of change since the patient capital review you know there's been relative stability with regards to the rules that have been in place and that's really really important advisors and their clients really want to see stability with regards to um, the rule changes. Um, you know, constant change is really difficult. It's difficult to predict and plan accordingly with regards to um, what products may or may not be suitable for different clients. So having that stability allows advisors to really engage with these products and these areas of the market. And actually, we've seen the benefit of that in increased fundraising. Uh, it's not the only factor behind it. Clearly, there's been some other big driving factors that have led to, you know, the record raising in um, VCT and DIS. Um, but the stability that we've seen in the market has been, a, you know, a key part to that to allow that confidence to flow down through as being established, um, established legislative vehicles for getting capital into, um, you know, an area of the economy that really needs it. Mm-hmm. How do you rate the current government's attitude towards VCT and EASs for retail investors? Kerry might be better placed to answer this given her role kind of as chair um, sitting alongside IQ at the BBCA. But um, I'd say broadly positive. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, and you, you, I'm basing that on the fact that the rules have been, you know, relatively benign in terms of changes. We haven't really seen anything since the patient capital review that's been that substantive. And so from that, from, you know, sitting on the outside that to me shows you know seem to be relatively happy with how the rules have been positioned with regards to the state aid funding but Kerry I don't know if you corroborate that or think I'm not in the right position on that. No I think uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has been really really um, stimulated and just so interested in this field right from when he was a chancellor so obviously as chancellor when Covid hit he was really really reaching into the community and saying what can I do to help what can I do to really keep the innovative uh, nature and all these brilliant companies that we have in the UK going. And he came up with a a group of us, the Future Fund, and that released a billion into the ecosystem. And it was an incredible initiative. But he's always had the right people and the right advisors around the table to ask the right questions. And one of the questions is, we're looking at, we have an incredible science base in this country. There's absolutely nothing wrong with our science base. We have innovation throughout the entire of the UK. It's not a London thing. And what we're doing here is we're saying, what are the ingredients that are needed in order to make Britain this science superpower that we keep talking about? And there are various components that you need. You need the PhDs, you need the academics, you need the advisors, and you need various types of funds. My fund is a traditional venture capital fund. Then you have EIS funds and you have VCT funds. Now, the importance of EIS and VCT funds is the fact that you can get money into companies that are when it's really, really early. And this is high risk in a lot of these innovations. These are developing strong IP, but they don't know if the market's ready to buy it. They don't know if the, if the customers are ready even to, to, to understand what the technology is. And what happens is these investors take that risk and they are rewarded for taking that risk at that very early stage, often before a fund like myself would come in. And that is the important piece. But the government has been really, 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 interested in this area and asked all the right questions and is wanting to help 
promote because it's across the UK. It is not a London thing here. Mm-hmm. And do you expect any further announcements in the spring budget? I'm really hoping that the confirmation comes uh, and we can all continue. Now, the mm-hmm. reason, so the sunset clause is, is there and it ends in 2025. Mm-hmm. That means these benefits stop technically in 2025. They've obviously indicated after the venture capital inquiry where the heads of ESA and the VCT Association were brought into a select committee and they really provided some excellent information and, and background to their sectors. But we need that confirmed. Now, if it's not confirmed, what that means is an EIS fund, when it's investing in a company... When you invest in a company, you don't just make one investment. You kind of signal, well, as you grow, we'll be able to deploy more money into your company. But without knowing that you have that sunset clause, they can't be raising all those large funds in order to give the founder and the entrepreneur the confidence that take money from my firm because I'll also be able to help you throughout your journey. That is the importance of signalling here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Sarah, you are more in the really early stage um, side of these um, investment vehicles, so the SEISs. To what extent can one even throw VCTs, EISs and SEISs in the same pot from an advisor perspective? Good question. Can you throw them in the same pot? My take on this is you start with SEIS, you, you get into your SEIS, you've got your tax reliefs, it's high risk. You're, you're going to lose some of those companies but that's why you go into a, a diversified portfolio um and and hopefully if uh, we we get this up to the 250 we get a decent runway to get this to product market fit and then you follow on with that um into your eis now with the eis and vcts um i i, I the one thing i would um say is Is, is difficult to understand is you've got different types of investors that's, that are going to go into VCTs um, that are going to go into EIS. But the types of companies that the VCTs and the EIS are going to invest into um, it could typically be the same. But the attractiveness of the VCT at the moment um as with the EIS, is that there's more sort of cash going into VCTs. There's not so much going into the EIS. So for me, as an early stage investor, um, I see the funding journey for companies almost um, struggling at that funding gap stage. And that's that's where I think there could be more done um for the companies to, to sort of get over that funding gap. In terms of the R&D tax credits, now you can only claim tax credits on UK-based suppliers, um, whereas it used to be worldwide. So all of a sudden, with our portfolio companies are saying to us they're getting less in terms of R&D. And I understand why the government are, are sort of putting these things in place, because people do abuse the system but at the same time for those that are genuinely trying to sort of cross those thresholds I think there's a number of different areas that support um, early stage businesses um, and, and it all it feels a little bit disjointed to me in terms of some of the stuff that's coming in. 
So if you look at some of the differences between a VCT and an EIS, there are several differences you've got here. You know, your income tax relief is exactly the same. Your hold periods are slightly different from five years or three years if you're an EIS. But the various elements are different. The main one that's different with VCTs is you're listed. So you've got a quoted stock and you've got a quoted price. Whereas on EIS, you're not listed and, and you don't have a set price. You're following other investors coming in. You've got maximum investment thresholds that are slightly different as well. So EIS, you can invest up to 2 million. Uh, SEIS, obviously, we're hoping that one goes up a little bit more. But the most, they've both got tax-free gains, let's say, in, in certain elements. But you'll see different elements in EIS. What's beneficial for some investors that choose an EIS investment, they're going to get CGT and IHT benefits as, as these companies list. So I think this is, as a company sell, but I think this is one of the most important elements of it. So we have at IQ Capital EIS investments alongside our normal traditional funds and the type of investor that we take uh, big technology entrepreneurs that are reinvesting the proceeds from the exits massive family offices um, but we take large investments from those companies and they are de-risk so it's not a retail uh, these are really you know knowledgeable sophisticated investors coming into a technology space they know the risks they're taking alongside our normal fund but I think some of the things that you're taking uh, you, you probably can speak for a broader audience yeah it's an interesting one we often get asked about whether you would put um, EIS and VCT and SEIS into the same bucket and I would say no I mean it clearly depends on which point of view you're coming at from um, but from an advisor looking at those structures and how they you know, can use those um, in the broader planning with their clients, they clearly are going to have pros and cons and, and be more or less suitable to different types of clients. And part of the reason you've seen you know, a significant popularity over the last few years in VCTs is, put simply, they've been looked at as a supplementary pension planning product. You know, pe- Pensions on the whole in the UK have continued to be um, restricted and... and, and you know the 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 pool is narrowed in terms of how you can access them you know the taper lifetime allowances being frozen um you know it makes it harder and harder for people to contribute into their pension mm-hmm. whereas a vct with its tax free income becomes quite an appealing option for someone once they've done lots of the regular planning so you're mm-hmm. starting to see that and that's kind of one of the big driving points behind um, you know, why you've seen a popularity in, in VCTs versus EIS because VCTs offer that tax-free income. So a yield of 5 or 6% gross start for, for an additional rate taxpayer is 8 or 9%. You know, when you, when, you, when you factor that in, when you're looking for income at the moment, given, um, you know, the hunt, the hunt for yield to combat inflation, that becomes really persuasive in the longer-term planning for people. And then you add on the fact that, you know, for, for VCTs, you're, you're getting access, generally speaking, these days to a, most managers in this market will be offering a top up to an existing portfolio. So you have sight of past performance to a pool of existing investments. You can see the performance of that vehicle. With EIS, you're typically going into effectively a blind pool. You know, you, mm-hmm. are, you, are, you can see a manager's track record and see prior investments. So there's no guarantee that those companies will be doing a follow on round and appear in the rounds that you're looking for. And the, and the pools tend to be a little bit more concentrated. You know, you might be talking, uh, I'm not sure what the diversification in Jensen is, but typically it could be 10 to 12 companies in a portfolio. Would that yep. be about yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, in a, in a VCT, you know, the, the venture fund has over 40 companies in it at triple point, And that, that you know, that's, uh, I would say, typical. There's some that have got over 100 companies in their portfolio. Um, so you're getting a lot more diversification. And, and, and again, from a risk perspective for advisors and where they're positioning it with clients, they 
will look at that and go, actually, for a client looking for that supplementary, you know, pension planning product, that greater diversification, you, you know, we don't get as much tax breaks as we would potentially in, in EIS in terms of getting um, CGT deferral, um, you know, and the IHT relief. But what you don't get there, you're getting, you know, um, you know a broader bucket of assets um, and you're getting the income. But then EIS is going to suit potentially a, a, a different client, a younger client, someone, you know, on, more entrepreneurial to your point, who perhaps is selling out of a business, wants to continue investing into smaller businesses, those with CGT liabilities that are looking for deferral. Um, you know, that that's the kind of positioning and slight difference. So you, I would say not always the case, but you tend to, you know, find that as being the kind of key delineation that tends to be around the income. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's helpful. However, it's not the most business-friendly environment currently, isn't it? We've got um, fairly high, in- not high by historic standards, but fairly high interest rates. Could be entering a recession, most likely. I mean, why would investors and nervous advisors still consider those tax-efficient, more high-risk investments? Um, I'm coming at it from a fundraising perspective, and, and so and Kerry might have a, a different perspective, but certainly our investment team would argue that now is a really persuasive and attractive entry point into um, investing into businesses. We obviously had a really, really good rally in, in technology in 2021, but kind of through 2022 and into 23, we've seen a lot of large cap tech sell off in the US as in particular. You've seen that that well publicized with, with job layoffs and kind of in, in the rate rise. And we've seen that, that kind of transition in the broader market. But actually at, at, a, at an earlier stage, especially here in the UK, I think it's been relatively well protected valuations cooled slightly it's it, it it is always the case that coming out into recessionary periods actually provide really good opportune time for investing into smaller um you know growth businesses that perhaps a bit more nimble able to be a bit more agile in markets and you know the portfolio when we look at ours has held up relatively well um so um year to date we're down on an nav total return basis only about five percent whereas if you look at broader market movements on on venture capital actually you know you look at um large cap us tech you know is down much more significantly than that so um you know you're coming in at quite an attractive entry point um you know offering you know good opportunity for growth going forward so i would say you know for me it's a you know actually is a, a really good point you know and especially here you've you know you've kind of gone through the last couple of years it's, it feels like a a good opportune moment Carrie I don't know if you again the salesman and me talking <laughs> you know, from, a, from, from a founder and investor perspective so uh I was I ran a fund in the late 90s so I remember what that first crash was like uh being sat at my desk there and then the one in 2008 and then the the, the covid and the, and, and the and the realignment we're in at the moment and after all of those crashes, that's when innovation happens. Now, I'm a deep tech investor, so I'm very early stage. So I'll do pre-product, product, inception, all the way through to 30 million investments uh, in my outperforming companies. But what we find is after a recession, but the prices at the right place, uh, you find that you can attract talent uh, much easier into a lot of these companies because there's talent available. Mm. And then a lot of these companies go on to be incredibly successful. Now, obviously, we're talking to retail investors here. So please take your own advice on all of these things. I'm not saying that this is the right time to be investing. But for my fund, a deep tech early stage fund, the vintage of 22, 23 funds is going to look pretty good. We we're getting into great deals. The talent is there. The deal flows there. The ecosystem's there. We've got incredible funds 
EIS, VCTs, normal funds like my ones, all everywhere. We've got great scale-up capital. We've got the future fund breakthrough for those deep tech, later stage Series B funds. There are so many initiatives that we can get here. And what's different with this recession is after the 2000, after the 98, the corporates left. What's interesting now is the corporates are still investing. Now, that's really interesting. So that means those corporates know that technology is going to solve their problems in the future. Now, we didn't have that in any other elements. So that is what's happening now. And it means that any investment that I'm making, big corporates are investing alongside us as well. That's quite a good indicator that it's a good time to be investing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think, sorry, just yeah. the other point is just is, is investors need to take that long-term view whenever whenever looking at this space. And Yes, obviously, we're looking at the market right now, but people investing into whether it is, um, you know, a venture capital GPLP funds, you know, such as Kerry will be running or EIS and VCT. It's about looking out at the long term and about looking at your planning needs over the long term. And fundamentally, you know, if you're looking at a manager in particular sectors, do you think that that sector is going to continue to grow and have greater opportunity out in the outer years, you know, rather than taking a view of the market right now in this snapshot? And, you know, fundamentally, whether you you know, as Kerry said, technology, you know, we look forward to the future and think, well, actually, you know, there is going to be greater demand for technology as we move forward and solutions based around that, um, you know, provides a really good time to be investing now, you know, cut out the short term noise. And what's made the difference in Europe is why you, the UK is number one in Europe, both for investment. What we've invested last year and the year before, we're normally double the size of France and Germany put together. It's, it's massive amount of money we're deploying into our technology ecosystem here. Now, why do they say that we are able to do this? A, you had the British Business Bank that set up lots of uh, VC funds that have been managed to deploy into this sector. But you have the EIS scheme. And this is what they say. These tax initiatives have just been absolutely instrumental for why the UK has been such a leader in Europe. Now, what's happening? Everybody knows this is the state. The state. So you've seen uh, Holland release its equivalent. Germany's going to release its equivalent. France, right now, they're going to release their equivalent. And you think how large the, the, the incentives in France are right at the moment, not only to lure new funds like, well, funds like mine to go and set up there, but founders there, PhDs there. Imagine when they release their equivalent of the CIS. So it is absolutely vital that the government continues all of this EIS and VCT work for this company because that is what's powering that early gap. And other economies are going to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, well, well, we'll see. We'll have an early indication in the um, what couple of weeks' time, next week, in fact, of what the intentions are. Sarah, do you agree or do you think that difficult economic circumstances um, can actually help early-stage companies? I completely agree with uh, Kerry and Jack on, uh, you know, the, the companies that we're investing in now, we're seeing more deal flow coming through. Um, uh, there's more innovation that we're seeing coming through. And I think there's, it's not just because of the pandemic. I think the early stage ecosystem in the UK, when I started this 10 years ago with an early stage fund, there, was, there wasn't so much around crowdfunding. There wasn't so much understanding about what early stage investing is. And having things like um, SEIS um, with the EIS as well means that people are getting in at that early stage and creating um, opportunity for founders to actually see that they can get investment for their ideas. Um, And that's in London, but regionally as well. I think, you know, there is more education out there that has highlighted the fact that there is funding available for um, early stage ventures. And that that's really coming through in the portfolio deal flow that we're seeing coming in. Mm-hmm. So um, 
And in terms of um, the resilience of early stage businesses as well, I think that's probably quite important to point out. You know, throughout the pandemic, um, we, like everybody, were confused and didn't know what was going to happen. But the resilience of the companies that, that, you know, we had that came through that and are now doing really well and really successfully. So in any time of crisis, there's always opportunity and there's always um you know people will work through it and the founders will work through it and that's definitely what we've seen mm-hmm. in, in our fund i mean you know there there will be losses as well but you know i think it's really important to um you know highlight the fact that um the the early stage ecosystem is 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 a survivor in this in the, in this sense mm-hmm I was just going to come back to just a, a point on the um, the longer term aspect for advisors. You know, mm-hmm. I often think that where people end up in hot water is in this is in this market because it isn't a higher risk area of investment. There is no doubt about it, and it really, you know, to my mind, is crucial that people take advice when it comes to looking at these investments because it isn't suitable for everybody. Is people who do it on a kind of an ad hoc or isolated basis, and I think um, where you see the most successes with advisors, you know, operating a really um, considered and regular process for reviewing this market and being actively engaged in it all the time because it is fluid, it does move, it does change and making sure they are kind of up to date with what's going on in the market and reviewing it on a regular basis. And I know that's easy to say as a manager within that space and it doesn't make up, I know, a significant proportion of um, you know, an advisor's time, they're spending lots of time, I'm sure, planning, uh, you know, cash flow planning around pensions and a whole heap of other pieces of advice that take up more of their time. But if, you know, looking at the space and the and the opportunity to grow it forward for their more valuable clients, um, you know, there is, there is, it's it's about for me, uh, you know, looking at it not as a, you know, we're going to do an EIS or a VCT this year and then never come back to it. It is about building out a process for how you use it on a regular basis. And if you do that, I think, you know, looking forward, as I said, I think I'm really bullish about that market. But I think it's really important to look at what your managers that you're considering using are doing, what their investment strategies are. And kind of although you're looking at it through the financial planning lens, it has to come back to an investment thesis and building out a complementary portfolio. You can't end up just going back to the same manager that you've always used because that you know, you're thinking at it through the lens of financial planning, you have to think about it in the rounds of building a portfolio for your client to get better risk adjusted returns by diversifying your investment, not putting all your eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. And we often see people will come back to the same manager. And, you know, in this market, you know, VCTs have definitely seen a run over the last few years with lots of popularity, lots of money flowing into the sector, lots of people raising lots of capital. I think really understanding about how the managers are deploying capital, what they're doing with that money, making sure that they're going out with considered offer sizes, you know, not trying to raise too much capital, especially in a market like this, understanding how they're going to be able to deploy it. Um, other kind of questions that I would make sure people are asking of their managers. Um, you know, there's been consolidation in the market, you know, people perhaps looking at 2025 and whether the sunset was going to um, come down or not, kind of making hay while the sun shines. And I just think, you know, for advisors looking at it this year, making sure they understand what their managers are going to deploy their money into. And if you have used VCTs in the past, continue to diversify. Don't just go back to what's familiar, build up a diversified portfolio there's enough managers out there doing different things at different stages into different sectors for you to build up a really really good portfolio and that's going to stand clients in really good stead going forward it's going to diversify income you know income streams to reduce risk to that and it's going to obviously reduce risk to the capital by spreading it over more managers so for me 
that would be my kind of take home message. Okay. I was just going to ask about take-home messages as well. Oh. Um, as you're almost I'm out done. of time. Exactly. <laughs> Kerry, I know you don't really deal with advisors at the moment, but you've got a lot of experience in this sector. What is your kind of take-home message for advisors? What tax-efficient investments can bring to their tax planning? If you want to invest with EIS into a deep tech or an early tech company, make sure you're doing it alongside a really experienced fund. You know, we're in our sixth fund. We manage over a billion dollars. We've been doing this for ages, yeah? And you're in a group alongside each other. So our EIS investors are all very similar. As I said earlier, they've sold businesses before, but they're speaking the same language. They understand that you're only going to make your real money if these companies exit. And I think you have to look at the exit market as well and say, where is the exit market as well? You know, this is what's important to drive the value of both funds, but only do it if you can afford it. That, that That's the most important thing. Don't do it because everyone else is doing it. It is a planning technique. It, it's it's if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. It does offer quite generous tax perks. So. There are tax perks, but for the risk these companies are taking, the stage they're getting in at, from, for, from my sector in deep tech, these are risky companies. These are thought-leading founding teams that are saying we're going to enter a new market we're going to define a new market we're going to come up with a concept that has never been done before i mean these are really really bold theories so we're investing in space tech we're investing in all sorts of things from life science everywhere from new materials these things take time and they are high risk they're binary they will work or they won't work so the fact that we have these incredible investors at this very early high risk stage is just brilliant to the uk in order that these founders can flourish and take their time to develop the right products and engage with customers, that we can create massive outperforming companies in the future. So, yeah, it's it's, it's essential that we keep the EIS going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Great. Sarah, what's your final message to advisors? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yes, you can lose all your money when if you invest in these things. So I'll, I'll reiterate that point. But um it's knowing the the manager that you're going to be working with. Make sure you do your own due diligence. We do our due diligence on the companies um, and we do a thorough due diligence. We take them from SEIS through to EIS um, and we follow those companies through. But it's for, it's really important for the advisors to make sure they, they speak to the, the managers as well um, quite often. We sort of reach out and try and speak to as many um, advisors as possible um, so that they understand who we are, what our thesis is, and and what their um, investors are getting getting um, putting their money into. Um, so so yeah, do your due diligence. I would say as we do. <laughs> Absolutely, always do your due diligence. Thank you very much for coming in today. It's really good to talk to you um, about this fascinating topic, and thank you for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 